red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow red. leather. This is stupid. This is red stupid. Red leather. Yeah, go Let's ahead. Go back give, to it a, Moses give it a try. Supposes. It's a good folklore exercise. Give it a try. Mos mm -mm. Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. I really have to work <laughs> hard to do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a good one. It's not going to work. No. I like Moses supposes. His toes are roses. No, we, no we're good on our S's. Oh. It's the it's those T H those those uh those long E or sorry sorry short E's. <laughs> I'm already stumbling over. Uh, anyway, John, we're not here to talk about our E's. We're here to talk about trivia. Yes, John, you are we, a trivia. We, maiden. we fancy ourselves trivia aficionados. Yeah, well, except for last time we did it together, that was an abysmal failure. <laughs> that wasn't an abysmal failure. We were in third, yeah, and then well, we bet it all to try to get <laughs> for a chance at that sweet sweet prize. We were in third, but there were some some. Big whiffs. Um, I I remember missing what streak quarterback start streak ended in 2010. I thought it was Peyton Manning because of his neck injury. I forgot that that Brett Favre had played all the way into 2010. Aww. And I do remember he got injured on a Monday Night Football game in December outside in Minnesota because the roof had collapsed. And and know, this anyway. is why Greg look just you can hear the internalized shame in know, Greg's head exactly. as he tries to give you every detail now. Exactly. Like yeah. look how smart I am. Look how smart I am. I'm trying to redeem myself. Yes. Well, no one cares, Greg. <laughs> I'll tell you what they do care about. You redeemed yourself. You won a trivia night. Well, yeah, but that's because <laughs> it was like it's like it's a pizza place that caters to like college students and a state school. So you know the trivia is not that hard. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks for your judgment, John. Oh, a state school. <laughs> it's like every layer was like a like another layer of judgment. A pizza place, college students, state school. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, we handily won by four points, and then we had to return next week because we had to defend our title, and uh, we got to choose the trivia category for the final round. Mm -hmm. Guess what I chose? I don't know. RuPaul, RuPaul's Drag Race. I don't know. <laughs> no, oh, the only TV show I know better, The Simpsons. <laughs> nice. Yep. What was the final question? The final question is, what is the Albany, New York colloquialism for hamburgers? <laughs> That's easy. I know, that's that a is, that's a mean. I think that was a gimme because like yeah. some of them were a lot harder. Like, um, what are Milhouse's parents' names? Uh, Kirk and Luann. Ah, shit. No, I, did I you not Bert, remember that? Come I on. put Bert and Lorraine. I was oh. like two <laughs> two letters off. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, maybe yeah. I'll give you that one. <laughs> no, they were very they were very stringent. We put uh, one of the questions earlier in the round was um like the Great Wall of China. We put the Great Wall and they didn't give it to us. What? Yeah, I know. Wow. That I is... think it's because, again, they have it out for us. Because we're obviously so good at trivia. Mm. It would really be unfair to the other teams if we yeah. came back every week and just dominated. Yeah. They so hate... we ended up losing by one point Ugh. this past week. So Well, yeah. to get your Kurt and Luann question right. But, yeah, it sounds like it sounds like internal bias here. Mm -hmm. It sounds like they hate you because they are not you. you know? Exactly. It's like the referees at an NFL game. They just have it out for you, and they're all just listening to the, the their puppets by the by the Roger Goodell and Jerry <laughs> Jones. Like, uh, what's his name? Jerry. Jerry Jones is yeah the shadow commissioner, just because he's the. <laughs> See, I follow sports. <laughs> yeah. I can speak to these things. Well, yeah, John. Well, the NFL is biased against the Patriots. Mm -hmm. Because of the Deflate Gate thing, uh, Spygate. Also, they went really hard on the Patriots then, um, but they also want them in the Super Bowl for some reason. Because <laughs> in the AFC Championship game, they had a lot of calls go their way. So you know, it it goes all way. Everybody's everybody's a winner, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how the deep state sometimes is in your favor and then goes against you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like obviously they're trying to go after Donald Trump, 
but then Donald Trump does all these nefarious things. And look, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. No, okay, yeah. guys. Yeah. One side seems to be complicit in the destruction of our democracy. The other side won't stop complaining about it. Exactly. <laughs> There's just no way to get rid of this gridlock, is it? Is there? <laughs> Welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast. Yeah, wow. Podcast. It's as if we want to talk about anything but this movie. <laughs> That's because I can't talk about this movie without grinding my teeth. <laughs> We're gonna have to, yeah. Well, I can't hear it right now. We're gonna have to, you know, pump that, pump that sound up to about ninety decibels. <laughs> yes, because this week we revisited Requiem for a Dream. Maybe some people are asking that, like, you know, we came of age, we were adolescents uh, when this movie came out in 2000. Mm-hmm. Like how, and budding Phil snobs ourselves, how could we have not seen Requiem for a Dream at this point? Well, I mean, we may be hashtag 90s kids. Groove is in the heart. <laughs> but also, I feel like I do try to work against that grain a little bit. For instance, I think Fight Club is merely okay. And I've never seen American History X, which I'm sure will eventually... Uh, revisit for this podcast as well so i yeah. think there was an intentional kind of like ugh, that that movie seems a bit beneath me <laughs> it seems like you know one of these movies that everyone either has a poster for or had in their dvd collection so i think i was kind of actively and also i heard that it's a bit of a harrowing watch that's that's what i the, that's probably why i've avoided it all these years is because it's reputation preceding it as a difficult watch um mm about about drug addiction and just the the complete destruction of these people's lives um and i think that's also why it's reputation preceded because it has this reputation of one movie you watch once you love but you never want to see it again Mm. and that's why i also wanted to wanted to talk about it now is because like we're watching it what 18 years later after it came out with kind of different eyes than let's say the rest of you know audiences years ago or something like that we have a bigger picture of uh, darren aronofsky's career yeah and well and also like you know if you do see this movie once like you know i love revisiting movies and you know evaluating their greatness over and over again <laughs> like you know can you do that when you see a movie only once that is fair so john i mean on your first viewing i mean what did, what did you think? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put on my film critic hat, and I'm going to uh, grab my pipe, and obviously <laughs> I'm gonna be Mr. What is a yeah? What does a film critic cap look like? <laughs> a film critic it looks like a deer stocking cap. <laughs> it's ah. kind of it's Sherlock esque. Okay. Um, so I, I would have went with the newsies, but yeah. <laughs> I I am going to try to articulate my opinion of this movie as uh, sophisticatedly as I can. Okay. This movie's weird. <laughs> Guys, it's this is weird, right? It's weird. <laughs> I mean, because you can either have this harrowing tale of a descent into drug addiction, mm-hmm. and then you can also have this like dreamlike, surrealistic, impressionistic, basically hip hop video. But I don't know if you can have both. Yeah, that that was the thing I was trying to square. Like Darren Aronofsky is such a monumentally talented filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And I think he does a good job of trying to capture addiction through fast cuts and time-lapse footage and wide-angle lenses, you know, long lenses, like compressing space and things like that. I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. I am going to echo something that I know 
Roger Ebert said all the time, and I feel it sometimes too, especially movies around this era. Like, I, I think it's a good movie. I'm not sure I, it's like a good reflection of life, though. Mm. And it's like, oh, I watched something, you know, kind of fascinating, but like it, in terms of this being a story about drug addiction and the message that um, the original author of, of the book on which this movie's based, Hubert Selby, I think he was trying to, you know, advocate for, you know, societal change in the nature of how we talk about drugs and how, what a destructive force they can be. I, I didn't feel that at the end. Yeah, that's a good point. Because again, it's just, I think why it struggles so much is because again, it's just trying to go for like maximum tragedy. It's, you know, capital T tragedy, capital T tragedy sung by an opera singer, like tragedy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hitting a little too hard. And I think it needed a bit of a subtler touch because it does have those more subtle moments. And those scenes really work. But then, you know, we cut back to wide angles, fast cuts, you know, weird color distortions and hallucinogenics scenes. And I just, they just don't square sometimes. No, you're right. I, I'm glad you mentioned that, like how subtle it is, because um, we should probably explain that this, uh, this movie follows four characters in two different storylines. One involves uh, an older Jewish woman named Sarah. I don't know if, if her Judaism has anything to do with it. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> her last name is Goldfob. <laughs> Goldfob, yeah. <laughs> she's she's a salt of the earth from Brighton Beach. You know? mm-hmm. Her husband's and, dead. She's alone now. She's yeah. got no one to take care of. <laughs> <laughs> and But anyway, uh, her story of addiction is um, she aspires to be on television, but she needs to lose weight to look good, and that results in her uh, taking, getting addicted to uppers and amphetamines. Mm-hmm. She takes these quote-unquote diet pills yeah. from a quote-unquote doctor yeah. to uh, help her lose weight, and unfortunately this just uh, expedites a descent into madness. Mm-hmm. And the other storyline follows these three uh, heroin junkies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... One being her son, Harry. Mm-hmm. The other one being uh, Harry's girlfriend, played by Jennifer Connelly, mm-hmm. and their best, friend, their best friend Marlon Wayans, the, the cut up <laughs> of the group. <laughs> Just so much fun. It's yeah. it's great. It's great seeing him cut out his uh, comedic chops. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the reason I, I explain that is because uh, Sarah wants to lose weight, and but she's constantly tempted by food. And the way that Darren Aronofsky conveys this is like out of a cartoon, the hallucinations about uh, food just materializing on her shelf, you know, floating when she, when she tries to go to bed, like seeing donuts float out of the sky. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's hard for me to get invested in this storyline because we're following a literal cartoon character. Not only is it represented in a very cartoonish way, but she's just, she's just so over the top. And it's such a weird contrast from that opening scene, which is harrowing and really dramatic. The opening scene is Harry breaks into his mother's apartment and steals her TV while she just kind of like has to watch. So she that, hides yeah, in the so closet. That he, yeah, so that he can pawn it off for drugs, for mm-hmm. drug money. Yeah, and what she's going to do is she's just going to go to the pawn shop and buy it back anyway. Yeah, just and to there's, have this there's whole a thing routine repeat. to this, yeah. Yeah, and it's a very harrowing, realistic scene, and the movie never kind of keeps that tone. And I think that's where my disappointment lies. I'm going to make it a little darker tomorrow. Why darker? To go with my red dress. Yeah, but now it's looking like Madonna. This is not Madonna. And neither is this. But soon, I'm going on a diet. What diet are you on? Eggs and grapefruit. Oh, I was on that one. Lots of luck. It's not so bad. How long have you been on it? All day. All day? <laughs> it's one o'clock. <laughs> I'm thinking thin. She's thinking thin. My Louise, she lost 50 pounds just like that. Like that? Like what? Poof. What'd you do, put her in a thread box? 
She went to a doctor and he gave her pills you don't want to eat. So, what's so good about that? You mean I'm sitting here not thinking about chopped liver and pastrami al rye? You know, you really shouldn't talk like that when someone's on a diet. Oh, big deal. I'll sneak another wedge of grapefruit. <laughs> I'm thinking thin. Oh, Sarah, the mailman. Sarah Goldfarb, you have something for Sarah Goldfarb? I'm expecting something. It's Goldfarb, Goldfarb. Sarah Goldfarb. Is it it? And also, like it's it's announcing its intention to use the the cinematic language because mm-hmm. that old scene plays out in split screen. We follow the mom like cowering in the closet yeah. against her her son who's coming down from his from his heroin high and desperately needs another fix. Mm-hmm. So we follow again the, the camera's kind of fixed on her while the other half of the screen is is him you know like d- desperately trying to get this TV so that he can pawn it off. Mm-hmm. So I I think that. The kind of film, like if we're just gonna like you know announce or exaggerate our, our film, you know, kind of our, our cinematic talent here, I, I think it works there. There are other scenes where you're right; it it doesn't quite work, like mm-hmm. um, like the preponderance of a snorri cam. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he uses that quite a bit. And maybe back when this movie premiered in 2000, like again, that was kind of brand new. That was a technique people weren't trying, but now it's kind of like so overused. Yeah, well, yeah, if he, I think he acknowledged that he started to overuse it because he hasn't used it in many films since. Oh, okay. Um, right. But yeah, that was a that was a trademark of Darren Aronofsky. For anybody who doesn't know, snorri cam is when you uh, physically attach the camera to the actor, mm-hmm. and you get this kind of and so the camera moves along with them, and you get this kind of disorienting effect where the the background moves at a different kind of state than the than the actor itself. Mm-hmm. And I actually so think it, it is a it is a good approximation of uh, drunkenness, honestly. Exactly. But yeah. <laughs> But it's also used like not only when characters are high, but when they're also like running, like being chased or something like that. So cheating a little bit. <laughs> Why? Because like you don't really need to edit as hard if you literally just have two sides of the screen doing something at the same time. Uh, okay, I mean, well, the editor had his work cut out for him. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> I mean, and he he does kind of keep up the split screen for a while, but it doesn't really he doesn't really use it for the second half of the movie. Which no. is also kind of, I don't know, it lends this feeling of the movie that he's just like a kid playing with a toy box. Well, yeah, again, he's a prodigious talent, and you can see like that talent is literally exploding off the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we're questioning is like whether it's in service of a harrowing tale, like real terrible addiction. Mm-hmm. Like literally destroying dreams and lives. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I just, think... Yeah, for I its think, own sake. Yeah, I think that's what we can't square. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to pick up on one thing so you didn't like ellen burston's performance as sarah no i I mean it has its moments like again that first scene and that uh little monologue she gets where she talks about how the fact that like the the chance that she gets to be on television is like the only thing she has to look forward to granted i wish the movie didn't have to tell us that i wish it could communicate (laughs) it visually yeah but then the rest of the time she's just like Oh, look at me. I'm a, you know, Jewish stereotype. <laughs> and all I, my friends are Jewish stereotypes. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I bought it. I, okay. I really admired the performance. Um, just to get, just to the descent into madness. I mean, there, there's that. I mean, it is very showy performance in a movie kind of filled with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to go back to that monologue, I mean, it is, you're right, it is very obviously written. I mean, but the, the camera just, between the camera just being fixed on her and her just intoning to uh, her son. We should explain the context of the scene. Uh, her son has come over. He's sober. Mm-hmm. 
Um, he's actually had some success, uh, like, uh, uh, dealing heroin, so... <laughs> Not that he admits that. He tells yeah. her, like, I got a job as a distributor. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's it's one of the few times where they're kind of connecting, I think. Yeah, also, like, he knows, like, immediately that she's on something. Exactly. <laughs> that I did like. I, I, I thought that was also, like, true to life. Or not true to life, but also an interesting twist because I think a, a more conventional movie would just have like, like Harry being silent or just like you know giving like knowing looks like oh no like what's wrong with my mother? <laughs> Instead, he just comes out and get like mom, you're on uppers. <laughs> well, I mean, it it adds a nice level of hypocrisy to the character. Oh yeah, there's that too. I like that. Like that's that's what I appreciated for it is like obviously he's obviously knee deep in his addiction, but obviously mm-hmm. he doesn't want it to fall to fall anybody else. Well, yeah, it's like a, it's a, the characters literally connect through there, <laughs> and <laughs> through also their, his mother. Uh, he needs his mother yeah. to be the responsible one. Yeah. He needs a TV he can pawn every week. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, he wants to give her the TV too. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, while we're talking about kind of like unrealistic things, first thing I want to bring up is the other, uh, Jared Leto's performance. Mm-hmm. Jared I think Leto when you is playing uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. I just, like literally, I I thought it was Jake Gyllenhaal for like the first ten minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal in like Nightcrawler. <laughs> well, no, I, in terms of like uh, like uh, character, he doesn't really he doesn't really uh, he doesn't really disappear in the role. <laughs> no, he's was, he's yeah. playing he's playing a mook. <laughs> See, oh ma, let, let me have your TV. <laughs> well, Yo, again, Tyrone, whole... let's go shoot up some heroin. Yeah, I think yeah, that's a lie. <laughs> it's, again, it goes with this whole over the top kind of quality, and. Mm-hmm. If it weren't, again, trying so hard to be this harrowing descent, like if it was able to juggle this subject matter and tone better, like in a very similar movie, Train Spotting, where yeah. you know you're not supposed to be as sympathetic to the characters, maybe it would work a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's also, I guess it's curious. There's a lighter tone in Train Spotting mm-hmm. because it's it's designed to say in the in the initial in the initial half of the movie, it's designed to say like, yeah, heroin is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and you do kind of feel what the characters are saying. Like here, it just—it's like they're miserable all the time. Really, exactly. Yeah. And again, it's meant to have this kind of like harder edge to it, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it's still trying to maintain that uh, euphoric atmosphere, or you know, trying to capture that euphoria when you're high on drugs. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why the tone is so jarring. Again, it's going for those uppers and downers. Yeah. But then we get you know the weird hallucinar- uh, hallucinations. Like, when she's hungry, she's picturing food, and then characters start coming out of the TV while she starts <laughs> taking too many of those diet pills. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, I think that's the worst scene in the movie. I think it is, too. And I'll, t- I'll tell you why. It's because you want to feel that this is a real story. Like, obviously, every day, people's lives are destroyed by drugs. Mm-hmm. And you want to feel the reality of that situation. The problem there, but the problem is that are these little choices, like yeah, whether they're acting choices, like you know, when they when they go over the top, he's like, oh, I'm Sarah Goldfarb, you know, <laughs> my hair, my hair, yeah. But also the obvious hallucinations, and like she literally only watches, like they characters say she's obsessed with the television, but she literally only watches one thing, and yeah. that is an infomercial for a diet program that she does not use. <laughs> exactly, and maybe if they like maybe like changed the television up a little bit but kept the same tone like again like this whole idea that like tv is aspirational you watch it and you wish you could be part of that yeah or like it's i think it's the the insinuation they're making is that television is poisoning your mind as much as the drugs are i guess that's true yeah but again like we only get that one infomercial 
Ex- exactly. That's that's the issue. And again, you don't and buy the reality. credit like, to Christopher McDonald. He can only hit that note so many times before it gets dull. <laughs> exactly. Like it it does insinuate that she literally watches one infomercial like twenty three <laughs> hours out of the day. And again, you don't you don't quite buy the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I will say th- though, one aspect that you kind of th- the only character, the only actor who's kind of immune to it is Jennifer Connelly. No, yeah, she's definitely the star of the movie. She's definitely the best actress in the whole movie because again, she has this kind of understatedness. Yeah, there's no histrionics like, to it. Yeah, character. exactly. Like when you know she's struggling, it, she goes really internal with it. She just kind of like collapses. She doesn't like scream or like throw shit. <laughs> I mean, she does eventually, but it, <laughs> you know, when when she needs her fix, she kind of you know goes into the fetal position, which feels a little bit more realistic. Yeah, or yeah, she retreats to the. There's one scene in the bathtub that <laughs> uh, Darren Aronofsky readily admitted like he just uh, ripped wholesale from a an anime movie <laughs> from some years earlier. Well, the other thing, too, is it's also probably the most realistic plot because, again, we see what she has to do to feed her habit. And again, That's true, it's yeah. not played over the top at all. She eventually becomes basically a prostitute. She whores mm-hmm. herself out so she can feed her habit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not until maybe the climax does it, you know, go too over the top. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I, I wanted to mention, the performance, and I think it's a, probably one of the biggest demerits of the movie, is I don't feel the characters have enough of an internal life or backstory sort of mm. um, I, I mean that we should acknowledge that characters do have a backstory they do mention that jennifer Connolly's character like is um disconnected from her family because she is a junkie well not only well but her family still supports her she, it, it's implied that she comes from a, a more affluent Wealthy, background yeah. yeah so that's why she can kind of support her habit better than uh jared leto or damon waynes mm-hmm. and also she has aspirations to be a uh, a designer exactly a fashion designer so but the problem is there's like not enough of it like either you either you like go with a movie like dunkirk where you show just nothing about these characters and you know just want to see if they'll survive or not or you try to texture it more try to add some more rich textures or something like that 
And oh. so we kind of get in between, and I, di- I didn't quite like that. I didn't like the little, like, you know, little tasters of backstory or, you know, internal motivation. Yeah, and like just not the Tyrone yeah. and his mother. Like yeah, that's true. Yeah, a few flashbacks with Tyrone and his mother, and it's like, oh, look what he had, and he lost mm-hmm. it. <laughs> um, but, see, I didn't mind it so much because, again, like Dunkirk, it's all about the immediacy. It's all about being in the moment. They're mm. literally just looking for their next fix. They're literally just looking for the next chance that they can get high. So obviously, why would they like talk about the past? Why would they talk like they have no internal lives because this is their lives? <laughs> That's true. I guess uh... <laughs> like when we see them when they're not getting high, they're just listening to music and just hanging out and doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, which does remind me, there's one thing I want to bring up in this movie, which again like kind of takes me out of the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And it's a pose that two characters strike. I don't know what it is. I don't know what to call it. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to call it a movie pose. It's where characters are, are lying on their backs, mm-hmm. cheek to cheek, but in kind of opposite directions. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've seen it so many times in movies, and I think it's only because it fills the frame properly. <laughs> when you mean cheek to cheek, you mean like ass cheek to ass cheek? No. <laughs> no, we haven't gotten to the climax yet. <laughs> no, I'm talking when Jared Leto and uh, Jennifer Connelly, again, we'll just use their actors' names. <laughs> Marion Greg, her name is Marion. Yes, Harry and Marion are lying on their back. They're cheek to cheek, but they're they're in opposite. They're pointed in opposite directions. So it's not like it's not like a like a like a sexual act or something like that. Like I don't know the po- the purpose of it other than it photographs well. <laughs> I mean, I think it probably captures the fact that they're close, but they're also disconnected. Yeah, yeah. It's, like it's kind of like a contrast kind of thing. I don't yeah, know. it's like a star-crossed lovers pose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because again, the other kind of thing this movie is playing with is again these characters are all pretty aspirational they're obviously living for the moment they're looking for their next fix but yet they still hold on to this weird dream this weird aspiration that they're going to get out of it well yeah they do have motivation in terms of sarah wanting to be on television yeah sarah wants to get on television she thinks this is going to change her life and then harry and tyrone think that like once they score enough money (laughs) they can just retire (laughs) they can retire well he also wants to support uh marion's dream of becoming a designer and opening up a business exactly adding to the whole tragedy of it eventually we see their lives kind of fall apart and we see harry and marion uh drift apart like marion goes like practically full prostitute she obviously can't be with a man if she's going to be whoring herself out. Yeah. And then Harry uh, loses his arm. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, he he gets a he gets a horrible infection because um, mm-hmm. he doesn't rotate his veins like an amateur. I mean, come on, jeez, come on. <laughs> but yeah, don't um, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that does remind me. So one thing in all the movies we've revisited, one thing we see is that there are. It, even if the movie as a whole like doesn't quite work, we see like why these are regarded as classics because of certain scenes or a certain act. Mm-hmm. And I feel like where this movie really gains its reputation is in, is in the final act mm-hmm. when we see their every all four characters' lives completely fall apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrone and Harry end up in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, in a Florida prison. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's humid down there, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's the worst aspect. Yeah. Uh, Marion hooks up with uh, Big Tom, Big Tim, Big Tim, who yeah. in a so shocking bit of casting. Uh, uh, okay, so that's all right. That's the other reason why I can't square with this movie. You have to work really hard to get me to hate um, Keith <laughs> David, and boy howdy. <laughs> yes, Keith David plays uh, just a, uh, one of the most wonderful actors, American actors mm-hmm. today. He plays a pimp named Big Tim. 
<laughs> a very sophisticated and pimp, though. I can just obviously <laughs> tell he's not, you know, he's not on the street corner. Obviously, his clientele is bankers and investment people. Sure, but yeah, probably one of the most sinister characters ever committed to cinema. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he literally opens in? the door on, like, Marion, like, does this evil cackle and says, come on inside. <laughs> And obviously, uh, in their second encounter, he invites her over. He's like, I'm going to have a few friends over. And it turns out to be some kind of, like, stripper sex party. Some bacchanal, yeah. Yeah, where they're, like, all these women are just stripping down and performing sex acts on each well, other for all the uh, amusement of these men. I, yeah, I, I couldn't square that because it, it seemed like there were only two prostitutes there and, what, like, 20 men? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what, what, are, are they, are they going to ride a train? Are they just here to watch? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I think they're just there to watch, Greg. Oh, okay. Fine, ass to whatever. ass. Ass to ass. So whatever. All right. Whatever floats your boat. I guess. I mean, I'm not. I'm not down. But you guys have fun. I guess. <laughs> Look, different strokes for different folks. Okay. I guess so. Yeah. I'll tell you, the different last bacchanalia I went to was way more fun. <laughs> different uh, strokes of the dildo. Yeah. Again, when you talk about you know harrowing sequences. Yep. Just the the the, the slimy uh, lube on that. Uh, on that particular close-up, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Got to stick with me a little bit. <laughs> and so, as well as Sarah, um, as well as um, Sarah's descent, we should also mention her. Yeah, so she Sarah, winds up in a psychiatric hospital because she's in a drug-induced psychosis. She can't take care of herself anymore. She's one of the crazy people on the subway trying to get to the studio. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she gets to the studio, no one knows what she's talking about, and they mm-hmm. just call the police and they basically arrest her and ship her off. And Look, I'm no mental health expert. <laughs> but eventually she has to, like, come down from these drugs, right? Well, I don't, yeah, I don't well, know how these It seems like it's work. permanently... Yeah, this is, what I, this is what I was trying to say, because by the end we realize that she, there is no recovering from her hallucinations, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. And because the psychiatric uh, hospital obviously is not very good, uh, <laughs> they're just like, well, just shock her brain until she shuts up. <laughs> I, which yeah, this I is, think is not a very fair representation of what uh, mental health uh, treatment is like, but whatever. No, I, I think that's a that's a disconnect between when the book was originally published in 1978 and when the movie came out in 2000. Like, mm-hmm. there's been obviously a lot of progress since then, and we don't really do <laughs> electroshock therapy anymore. <laughs> yeah, or at least not as not as uh, horrifically depicted as it is in this movie, <laughs> or at least tricky you into signing off on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With orderlies, are just like, uh, gotta get through the day. <laughs> let's just throw her. Let's just throw her into the bed. Sign this, yeah. Hey, did you watch the game last night? As we force feed this woman, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Tie her down so I can tell you about that great play Jeter made. I do. <laughs> yeah, so that might be one thing that uh, is a disconnect from the original, from the source material, and the twenty years uh, when they adapted it in this movie. Um, uh, th- that reminds me, another kind of um, a- anachronism, I think, is uh, Marlon Wayne's dialogue. Because mm. <laughs> I think he says jive at one point. I'm like, nobody, <laughs> <laughs> nobody in the, in, since the year, I don't know, 78 has said jive. <laughs> Are you kidding? I use it all the time. <laughs> I was at trivia then, I was like, dude, you jive turkeys. <laughs> Whatever, you honky. <laughs> My mother didn't raise no dummy. I'd dug a rat. <laughs> Come here some slack, Jack. Anyways. <laughs> I 
yeah, I, I don't know. Like, again, the, the Sarah plot line started so strong and then just kind of got, like, worse and worse from there. I just... Uh, and again, so. the climax, it's just so overbearing. And I know that's the point. I know it's meant to be difficult to watch. And I will mm-hmm. admit, I did avert my eyes at times. Mm. But it's like, I don't know, with that score done by the Kronos Quartet, that... Like, uh, yeah, and again, I've... it's all it's all cutting to the most dramatic points. I just, I don't know. It was just, it was too much. And again, like, that's a point in the movie's favor. Everyone says, like, watch it once, you know, for the intensity of it. Mm. But again, like, at what point do you say, like, wow, this is a really harrowing scene? It's like, okay, this is just gratuitous. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked its effectiveness. I like how, you know, intense it was. Because, again, the movie's intention is to communicate that. Mm. So I was fine with it. Um, again, the thing I can't square, though, is is how this is supposed to be a reflection of real life when you yeah. know, you're doing quick cuts and, you know, wide-angle lenses and snowy cam or something like that. Again, it's a, it's a filmmaker using his prodigious talent, but, again, you don't buy it as a, as a reflection of real life. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. So again, I I I actually like the climax. Again, like every other movie goer, I'm not eager to revisit this movie anytime soon. But I am I am glad I watched it. I mean, I think it is worth seeing for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. Again, I think we're the last ones though. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I want to love Keith David forever, so I just can't. <laughs> so you would like this movie stripped of its? Uh, <laughs> you would like every copy burned? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just to preserve the 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 integrity of Keith David, of course. <laughs> As the I know he's a great actor, David. but he should only take the roles I want him to play. <laughs> so, what about the Doctor in uh, the Princess and the Frog? Huh? Oh, of course, perfect role for him. <laughs> or if he's gonna oh, play perfect, a pimp, but Johnny's the bad guy. If he's gonna be a pimp, at least be like the '70s style pimp with the big hat and the glasses. <laughs> That would have that would have been hysterical. <laughs> she just opens the door. And he's just yeah, got the that was one thing. Of dream code. <laughs> like, yeah. why don't you come on the side? <laughs> That's one thing uh, Hubert Selby in adapting uh, his book would not <laughs> compromise on. <laughs> this this character, Big Tim, has to dress this way. I don't care if it's twenty years later. <laughs> I don't care if that's not how pimps dress anymore. That's how it was in the seventies. Oh, son of Sam, I'll tell you. <laughs> I mean, that's I was I was looking at the writer's CV, and that's that's the other thing I couldn't just square with. Like, so much of his work is just like, again, that like '70s New York, <laughs> like kind of over the top cartoonishness, which it I appreciated when well, we watched like the Warriors. But it's like everything he does just seems like it's hitting that nail over and over again. Well, yeah, he's definitely tied to Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, and the only book of his I've read is uh, Last Exit to Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and that. That's in a first-person narration with little, uh, like, intentional uh, accent and thing like that, and I thought it was effective. So okay. So so you recommend his work? Uh, I would recommend that book. It's the only it's the only <laughs> piece of work that I've I've read. But <laughs> well, you like this movie? Uh, yeah, I mean, from, you know, it's a screenplay adapted from his work. So what are you saying, Greg? I well, John, own your you recommendations. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know if you knew this, John, but movies and and books are different things. No, they're not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> they are literally the same to me. Yeah. So because the book The Natural is terrible, we can't recommend. We can't in good conscience recommend the movie starring Robert Redford. Obviously. <laughs> You just you you knew that that was just gonna be a, a, right at my heart because you know I love the book and I hate the movie. You knew that was just gonna <laughs> and you know I love me. the movie and hate the book. So, <laughs> well now we know what we're doing next week. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Even though it completely breaks the format of movies of seeing movies we haven't seen before. <laughs> exactly. And again, this isn't a book podcast, so I don't no. know why we're talking about the book. <laughs> well, it might work. I mean, you and I can do a little uh, voiceover or something like that, you know. Exactly. Give the we, give the character some life, you know. Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> hey, it's Brooklyn. <laughs> Mamma mia, pizza, spaghetti. <laughs> Ugh, food's terrible in such small portions. <laughs> it's a dirty spoon in my soup. What's going on here? <laughs> if it weren't too much, Darren Aronofsky wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Okay. I know. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we should watch The Fountain one of these days. Oh, ooh. The classic, The Fountain. <laughs> I mean, we should be completionists, John. That's true. Yeah. We if we're going to talk about the work of Darren Aronofsky. completionists. That's our new podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, in terms of the one movie where he did really did square reality with his incredible talent, and that's the wrestler. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no well, there is like at least one scene where again he uses that intensity to make you uncomfortable, but again, much much better, much more affirmative too. So, <laughs> well, Greg, again, you're giving out recommendations now. Uh, it's you're not right, time yeah. yet to give out recommendations. You're right, yeah, because we save that for a very special segment at the end of every episode called Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. John, what do you have for Spotlight this week? I have another Darren Aronofsky film called Black Swan. (laughs) Because I'm uncreative. (laughs) No, that's fine. I mean, again, if people don't aren't rushing out to see Requiem for a Dream because, you know, it displays the grim realities of heroin addiction, you know, maybe they'll like the the terrible realities of uh, intense high-level ballet. Well, that's the thing. It's like you can definitely tell from uh, Requiem for a Dream, like this is a man who's still trying to learn things. And I think Black Swan definitely shows how much he's learned and definitely kind of hones in on those skills that he's developed. Because, again, it does have that intensity. It does have that dreamlike quality. But, again, much tighter, much more focused. We're following just one character, Natalie Portman, as she tries to be the best ballerina she can be and square Mm -hmm. this tense relationship she has with her mother. Sorry, that's yeah. just mother. Not mother! <laughs> Played by uh, Barbara Hershey, I think. Uh, yes, I should probably... I will say, I think it is, you're right, I think it is an improvement on this, on Requiem for a Dream. Mm-hmm. And in one area, I want to say, is um, in kind of space. Because we talked about how Sarah's apartment in Requiem for a Dream, it feels like artificial or... You know, we're in, the, we're in there an awful lot. That's the thing. Like, that movie feels really... Requiem for a Dream also feels really small. Somehow, like, Black Swan just feels grander for some reason. And we, when we go to the tiny apartment uh, where Natalie Portman lives, like, it again, it feels... Somehow, his filmmaking makes it feel very tight and oppressive. And it works. It's, true, a, yeah. it's a more memorable... It's somehow, like, more memorable production design. Mm-hmm. And again, he still follows that technique where he's the camera's like steadily following another character as the world is zooming by, but we do it from the back. And again, mm-hmm. it just kind of like captures that intensity, and they're like they're walking somewhere with purpose. Yeah, because uh, she's yeah. very purposeful in this movie, isn't she? <laughs> of course. <laughs> and the other thing too, the connection it has with *Working for a Dream* is that uh, he lifts whole scenes from that anime movie you mentioned earlier. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, that movie, by the way, is called uh, *Perfect Blue*. Mm. So yeah. I don't check that out, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so mini spotlight, check out Perfect yeah. Blue and you can see where Darren Aronofsky gets all his inspiration slash homages homages mm-hmm. slash ripoffs. <laughs> Completely unoriginal. <laughs> I I liked it better when it was called Perfect Blue, <laughs> which is a timeless classic. 
Anybody wow. who loves animation should. <laughs> wow, harsh. Okay, fine. Some people are allowed to like animation, Greg. Okay. It's not just for the kids anymore. I want to recommend oh, no. something for you called Adult Swim. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was your other idea. Yeah, guys, everybody, it's Cartoon Network. Just say you watch Cartoon Network. <laughs> Um, Greg, they have Rick and Morty, the smartest show on television. Okay. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> if you don't like Rick and Morty, you're just not smart enough. <laughs> that, I, I'm not smart enough to get it. That's why no. I don't like it. <laughs> exactly. Look, I love Rick and Morty, but it has the worst fans <laughs> imaginable. <laughs> it's true. It's They're worse than um, fans whose my favorite Star Wars movie is Rogue One. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> because it, it doesn't make me feel like a child for like <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> And it has those Easter eggs. I love Easter eggs. I love Easter eggs. That's, and how, you, that's how you parse out a true fan. Is yeah. how well can they pick out the Easter eggs mm-hmm. and homages? <laughs> Did you? See, when I saw the C three PO, I clapped. <laughs> anyway, John, we're not here to to, to We're not here to denigrate <laughs> devoted fans. All right, we're here to talk about what we like. And yes, Black Swan is a great movie. <laughs> yes, Black Swan is a fantastic movie. Yeah. Go seek it out. Yes. And the wrestler too. I haven't seen the wrestler yet, but I've heard. Oh yeah, I could I could easily recommend that too. But John, that's not what I want to recommend. All right, fine. Just undercut <laughs> me. Just high rope me. Why don't you? Jeez. What do you have to recommend? Well, I, like I'm I gonna high rope you more because if you have if you have an Amazon Prime account, you owe it to yourself to watch the second season of the Grand Tour. Oh jeez. <laughs> Starring right. Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond, and James May. All right. I thought my spotlight was bad. All right. Now I'm seeing where you're going with this. <laughs> no, this is, John, this is a, a genuine recommendation. It In its second season, it is vastly improved. Mm. Um, and definitely is, is recapturing the, the spirit of, of what people loved about that Top Gear. Not the original Top Gear. I guess now the, the middle Top Gear. This the, the, the weird second iteration or something like that. <laughs> Which is weird because you look at the Grand Tour and it's like, oh wow, they're trying to do Top Gear but worse. <laughs> no, it's no. And it's so not now worse what they did time. was they just tweaked it so it's just even closer to Top Gear. No, it's not. not For crying out loud, it's TG. They just changed it to GT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you add the, then it's then it's TGT, and then it's like, that's like Top Gear two. But anyway, <laughs> okay. <laughs> John, let me explain some of the improvements. So, okay. less less uh, reliance on comedy. <laughs> so, if you remember the first season, their driver, because they can't use the stick anymore, mm-hmm. they had a driver called the American who would make, like, who was this uh, loudish, you know, loudmouth, you know, redneck, pretty much. <laughs> yes, this broad stereotype of a Southern American. Yes. Hilarious. Um, yeah. So, now they, have a, now they have a lady driver. So, again, diversity win. <laughs> Who uh, doesn't say anything, and it's perfect. It's fine. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Making progress. <laughs> yes. Well, she is very affirmative. She's like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> the other improvement, too, is the, uh, in terms of broad, obvious joke. They're still in a studio, which, again, I'm not sure is completely necessary. Mm-hmm. But a uh, gag they had last season was um, when they would have a, cele- quote, celebrity guest on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the celebrity guest would die on the way to the studio. <laughs> yes, and that works. And that's very funny for maybe the first two episodes. Yeah, and but they did it throughout the whole season. So, yes. yeah, it didn't. So now they actually do have guests on, but it's two guests uh, framed around, like, who's the world's fastest drummer in a band whose name, whose name begins with P? Mm-hmm. And they have on the drummer from uh, Pink Floyd and the police. So Yeah, and then uh, they also had one where they had a... Uh, famous baseball player and a famous cricket player so that was kind of a fun little contrast right there yeah Yeah. and uh, just the the films themselves work i think my favorite was the uh the cheap jaguar challenge (laughs) 
Now, granted, there are obvious gags in that one, too, but again, I just have a soft spot for those cheap challenges. And also one very uh, metatextual movie <laughs> or film they made mm-hmm. where they received a fan complaint, like, I don't like it when, you're, when your little segments are so scripted. Mm-hmm. So they did one that was supposedly unscripted, and so they're completely off the page and have no idea where they're going. <laughs> Wind up in locations where, you know, uh, one uh, James goes off to do a cheap car challenge that has nothing to do with what Jeremy and Richard are doing. <laughs> Yes, the films do need some kind of writing, some kind of internal logic for them to work. <laughs> but that's what. But that's what's great about the three presenters is the fact that you know they seem so off the cuff, even though obviously everything they do is extremely rehearsed. Yeah, well, there's still that great chemistry they have, mm-hmm. and I think it, and maybe it's a consequence of them that this is now what they're solely kind of working on. They do spend more time together. I remember later seasons of Top Gear when all three of them were doing kind of different shows and it seemed like they weren't spending as much time together and that kind of reflected in the studio segments. Mm-hmm. And so I think this time, just the chemistry has improved. I think, I think, John, it's getting up. It's a positive developments. I can't believe you're not, you're not on board with this. <laughs> I'm, I'm only two episodes in and I still can't, I just still can't, you know, make the time. I'm still like, is this worth it? <laughs> what do you... Yes, it's only an hour. It's a perfect hour of television. No commercials. I love it. Well, other than the commercial for Jaguar in the. Uh... <laughs> I just, we've had enough Top Gear. It's what? over. No, let it, it never die. Can have enough. Okay, no, let the past die. All right, no, I'm Jones. I need it all the time. <laughs> Craig, are you grinding your teeth right now? Are you no, using? No, no. <laughs> you don't understand, Harry. I'm going to be on television. <laughs> You're back on that Jeremy Clarkson, aren't you? God, That's need, the street name for I smack. need that Jezza. I need that Jezza. <laughs> I need that hamster, man. I'm Jones for that hamster. I need that uncut hamster. Yeah, they don't have a they don't have a name for James May. Captain. Well, they can't call him Captain Slow anymore. Slow can anymore. They? Yeah, they can't. Uh-huh. Trademark BBC. No, no. So litigious. <laughs> I mean, if you if you if you love car shows, then yeah, more power to you. There's really nothing else you can really watch. But I don't it's, know. It's, it's entertaining. It's a it's a good comedy show. <laughs> As the creator uh, Andy Woman said, it's a it's a it's a trip into the male mind. <laughs> that's a good point. that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Which I think he says is an interesting place because not a whole lot happens there. So, <laughs> I mean, it is kind of fascinating how you have this show that really squarely hits towards adolescent teenage boys presented by three middle aged men. <laughs> Oh no, they're not. They're, John, they're really getting up there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of scary. Yeah, I worry about I, their health. I, well, yeah, because the two of them are still chain smokers. And <laughs> oh, really? You probably have a. Oh yeah, Jeremy Clarkson and James May still uh, smoke like chimneys yeah, and okay. presumably uh, down scotch every hour of every day. <laughs> I'm assuming. <laughs> the Brits. What else do they look forward to? This is true. Yeah. I want to see that movie. The James, well, somehow they, the James somehow May biopic. Yeah. Well, the other thing they've improved on, they still have a studio segment, but they're not traveling around. And mm. I think that helps because now all the audiences speak English and kind of are more engaged. <laughs> wow. And okay. somehow... Yeah, Nationalist I, bent right here. <laughs> not a nat- I'm just saying, logistically, they. how can they laugh if they don't speak the language, you know? <laughs> It diminishes the the effect. That well, you're I mean, to those studio for. segments just aren't that funny to begin with. Oh, come on! They're good. I like you know I like it when they plant a you know a, a posy of topicality on the roundabout of chat. <laughs> oh, jeez! <laughs> I, I love those little segments. Too. I love Top Gear and I love the Grand Tour for the films, but yeah, I, I just know. wish they cut out like all the other chafe. I don't care about the car reviews because I'm never gonna drive a Koenigsegg <laughs> in my life. Okay. <laughs> 
I'm never going to even touch an Aston Martin. Why the hell do I care? <laughs> and it's for gearheads like you, because I get awesome. it. they're awesome. They bring up to 9,000. <laughs> 10 million horsepower. <laughs> I know. I know, that's why uh, among those great films, like the Chief Guard Challenges are the best. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> and little adventures that go on there. But Stuff to recommend, but I, I just think it's past its prime. Ugh, it's geez. Amazon Prime. Boom. Swish. <laughs> I think you're wrong. I, th- I think even Diminished Top Gear is still s- some of the best television on the internet. So, <laughs> okay. I did see that headline. They were like, oh, One Day at a Time is the best TV show on television. It's like, it's on Netflix. It's not it's even on TV. I know. And uh, is it a remake? I don't understand. I That name sounds so familiar. I thought it was a soap opera. It, it soap was opera. a soap opera from the 70s. I think it was okay. actually a Norman Lear show. So that's okay. why it has, a, it has that pedigree. Wait, is it a soap opera? Then is it... He, no one Lear's never produced a drama, I don't think. Well, I mean, he has the... He, that's the thing. He, he he writes shows at the pace of real life. So he does have... <laughs> sure. He finds those times, the comedy and the drama. Hmm. Mm-hmm. No one does it better. Norman Lear. Spotlight, Norman Lear. Nice, yeah. I got to um, see the Norman Lear talk at a uh, podcast recording. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. La-di-da. Yeah. Why are you going towards other podcasts, Greg? Uh, it's, I, I want to support them. Mm. Fine. Well, yeah. what about us, Greg? How can you support well, us? Okay, well, this should I'll be tell the only how. podcast you're supporting, good sir. I'll tell you how they can people can support us. Okay, and that's giving us a like on Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's giving us a follow on Twitter mm-hmm. at Aspiring Snobs, and maybe a retweet and a little heart. Yep. <laughs> Was that too much keep to them, ask? Come on, keep them hearts coming. I know. I need them hearts. <laughs> I'm jonesing for them hearts. Like, what if John? What if those hearts are drug? <laughs> what, what if faves if, are drug? <laughs> what if the television is a drug? Yeah. Ooh. What if that phone in your hand is a drug? Layers. I know. Ooh. <laughs> and give us a subscription on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Or Stitcher. Or your Stitcher. podcast service of choice. Yep. Podbeam, Acast, mm-hmm. Player FM. We're all there. Exactly. Yes. Give us a rating and, and give us a follow. Yes. And we have a poll out right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Based on Requiem for a Dream, do do you, audience, <laughs> do you want us to watch movies that deal with real-life challenges, the kind you face every day? <laughs> or would you like us to explore far-out movies, you know, that really, you know, capture the human imagination with robots and mystical qualities, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, or some combination. Yeah, or some combination of the two. <laughs> Close encounters of the third kind, for, let's say. <laughs> I know what I voted for. I do. <laughs> Well, the real-life scenarios, right? I mean, you want to see more movies by Hirokazu Kureta, I'm sure, as I do. (laughs) Yes. More Japanese films, please. Mm -hmm. So when we actually see the rip-offs from American directors, we know where they came from. (laughs) Well, no, it's uh, it's Kurosawa and Uzo and whatever. It's fine. (laughs) Again, Greg just has to show off, like, ooh, name drop. (laughs) Next week, we're watching Tokyo Story. (laughs) John, I know you'll love it. It's people, no, sit, it's Greg. Pe- people sitting on their tatami mats <laughs> for two hours. <laughs> Cinema at its finest. Um, Sorry. We already did my dinner with Andre. This is true. Why can't we do my sushi with Jiro? <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> what? <laughs> my sushi with Jiro. A, it doesn't even make sense. B, I th- the offense I take to the stereotype. <laughs> Is I, I take less offense to the stereotype as I do the fact that it just doesn't work <laughs> as language. Sushi's a meal. Come on. I do. It's like, that's like a Japanese person saying, mm, I can't wait to have a hamburger at six. <laughs> that's a perfectly grammatical sentence. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs>
All right, John, let's let's get to our cromulent recommendation or what we're going to watch next week. <laughs> yes, our perfectly cromulent movie for next week is yeah. Bicycle Thieves. I don't even know what this is. And another Italian classic, yeah. Again, going with our theme, That's this is why we needed the results of the poll to see like whether we're going to talk about grim reality or... <laughs> I assume this is some kind of fantastical journey through some mystical land. It is. John, I, you've never seen Bicycle Thieves, which is a film school requirement. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, and and yeah, you're gonna you're gonna pop your top when you see the uh, the bicycles take off like ET. <laughs> Where do you think Spielberg got it from? Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, of course, all the greats just rip off. Mm-hmm. Yep. So everybody, you got you got that to look forward to. Some Italian neorealism next week. <laughs> Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Yes, and until next time, keep aspiring. <laughs>